Thank you for clicking the play button. This is the Anything But Quiet Time podcast uh, through Hope On Demand. Maybe you stumbled upon this on Apple or Spotify. And by the way, we do appreciate subscriptions and and reviews, the five-star reviews. We really appreciate that. By the way, usually when you stumble, you usually get back up. But if you stumbled on us, just stay here. Yeah, don't get back up. Just (laughs) help. I've fallen and I can't get up. And that's great with us if you're here. Stay lazy and stay here. Yeah, that's this is all terrible life advice. (laughs) Uh, Something just happened in the hallway of the building where we work. Okay. And I was like, oh, I kind of want to bring that up on the podcast because I was hugely frustrated by it. So one of our coworkers, lovely man, loves Jesus and is sharing with me about his aunt. Okay. And his aunt, um, he said, was very, very strict growing up. Like, oh, you can't go into the movie theater because um, that's a sin. That's a horrible thing. And he actually helped convince her one day to go to a comedy and they enjoyed it. She laughed out loud. She really had a good time. Yeah. I thought, oh, that sounds amazing. He said, yes, but recently she has converted to Jehovah's Witness. Not great. And I said, wait, wait, what? And he said, apparently the church she was going to, she felt like every sermon was a guilt trip kind of sermon. You're not good enough. You're not doing enough. Mm. And so he said she decided that she's going to become a Jehovah's Witness. And she apparently has shared with him that she loves it because it feels more organized. It feels like everything is in its place. She feels closer to God. And I thought, oh my word. Well, first of all, what kind of church was she going to first that would lead her to a place where where now there is no more relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? There, It's a completely different set of, this is a different standard, right? Yeah. And I think it's important that people know that. You hear the name Jehovah or you hear about Christian science or uh, the Church of Latter-day Saints that says... Um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They, yeah. they put Jesus's name in the title, right? So it sounds, oh, that must be all the same because it connects. And I know that Jehovah is the name that we share when we were talking about the Hebrew God, which is the God we believe in. But it is important to do your homework and know that, yeah, this is this is not the same thing. And if you're feeling uncomfortable at a church that shares and professes Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the actual son of God. And he rose from death to life so that I can too. That's what uh, Carter and I believe. That is what Christ followers believe. That's what I guess you could term. Yes, Christians, that's where it came from, right? So it's important that we make a clear distinction between the two so that when we're having conversations with other people, that they'll know the difference if they ask you, well, what's the difference? This is the difference. Yeah. Well, and and I notice in this story, and you know, this is just you talking to our coworker. Uh, You don't know his aunt and I don't, I wasn't even in the conversation. So I'm I'm just going to speak as much (laughs) as I know, but um, she went to this church based on feelings. Yes. It sounds like it. And it doesn't make something true or not true. Mm -hmm. I don't like that slavery happened in America that gives me icky feelings. Yeah, well, it's awful. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. That doesn't mean it didn't happen and that we shouldn't recognize that it's truth, that this is historical. No matter how horrific. And so you look at, now this is the good part, you look at what Jesus did and the historical mm-hmm. nature and the facts we have behind it. And then even just setting history aside, more of the doctrine, 
Mm. Jehovah's Witness believes that Jesus was an archangel, that, that Gabriel or Michael, I don't remember which one, turned into Jesus and then Jesus changed forms into this. And then like, it's just not scripturally accurate. The, the leaders of that organization mm. have rewritten the Bible to fit what their narrative was. And so just because it feels better being in there to her doesn't mean that that's true. It's important when I'm picking a church also to, um, not based on feelings, what is it that they teach? This is what they profess to teach. So perhaps there are those messages that get to us and are hugely convicting because it's like, man, I need to step up my game in following after Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, and those can feel like guilt ridden messages, or there are the actual pastors who get there and start wagging their finger at people yeah. from behind the pulpit and do lay these guilt trips on there, which I would highly, I would be like, okay, maybe I need to check a different church out. This, this situation doesn't mean she shouldn't have left her church. That's right. Maybe she should have. Maybe she should have. But it doesn't mean the beliefs change if you recognize Jesus is who he said he was. And if I am so easily able to release my relationship of Jesus Christ for something else, mm. how good was the relationship in the first place? And I, I have to kind of even translate that into my earthly relationships, kind of compare it there. It's like, okay, if I really love somebody, I'm going to love them through thick and thin, no matter if somebody comes along and tells me about that person I love, oh, they're, they're not good for you or whatever. They're... <laughs> whatever they're saying about that person, if you're in relationship with them and you know it to be a true friendship or relationship, then it doesn't matter come yeah. hell or high water. Yeah. I'm in this. That's true. So I, I, would, I would hope for a church situation for any Christ seeker, Christ follower, where they emphasize the importance of relationship with your savior, relationship with God. Because it, it sounded like as soon as she got to this other church situation, the Jehovah's Witness, that she felt like she was knowing more about God. And she likes to know more about God. I don't know what they're teaching her about God. Uh, it's not in line with what Christian, uh, Christian values dictate. Right. Um, but I think that that's very telling to me. Uh, she wants to know him. So yes, maybe it was just as simple Maybe I need to go to a different church. Maybe I'm not being fed in the way that will help lead me to a stronger relationship and foundation yeah. with Jesus uh, because he wants you to know him. And I really feel like I've been led to that scripture lately. If you seek, you will find. And when you are seeking him, you're going to find that good stuff. And if, if you are, if you are, I don't know, being dissuaded by the way a person is sharing the message. Take that to God in prayer. Uh, yeah. We, we kind of allow religion to dictate some of the way that we carry out faith. And that's that's not about relationship. That's rules and rule Yeah, that's books. true. I think we should get to, and, and let me bring something up else first. Okay. But we had an interesting conversation about a Christian artist that has become... Uh, openly deconstructing that we can talk about here in a second. Okay. And it goes along with a meme that I've seen a lot of my Christian friends posting this week. Okay. And I'm looking at the meme going, I think we need to talk about this on the Anything But Quiet Time podcast and, and dissect if it's true. A lot of things I'll bring, I'm like, I 
let me prove to you why it's not true. This one, I'm like, I could see where it's true in some places and where it's not true in some places. Mm. And so let me get to that in just a second, along with that Christian artist that openly is deconstructing. But something you said, totally switching topics, but it's right on with what a friend and I chatted about this week. You said, uh, sticking with a friend in hell or high water. Yeah. And I think it's just a good lesson relationally about how to treat other people. This was a, when do I dump them? And when do I stick with them? And this is more about dating and moving on to marriage. It's a very interesting, fascinating conversation on a friend and I shared, you know, just our stories of meeting our wives. And he said, yeah, there was a time where we almost broke up Mm -hmm. because my mom was going through a lot. Mm. My mom, it was all of a sudden diagnosed with mental illness Mm. and it was a lot to handle. And so we had this conversation of, should we break up so I can get this resolved? Mm. And they came to the conclusion together. It's really, it's for both of us, it's me along with everything. Either either I come with everything or or this isn't going to work in general. Yeah. And I really thought about the truth in that of just treating, uh, you know, our, picking our friends and treating other people in general. Mm-hmm. I should not wait for somebody to put out every single fire in their life before I give them my time uh, or my friendship or, you know, seeking somebody to marry. I can't expect healthily somebody to finally get the house paid off, make sure everybody's mentally healthy, uh, pay off debt, get in shape. Like there's so, there's always something that we're all going through. Mm-hmm. And for anybody to say, why don't you work that out before we actually get together is I think a standard that nobody could accomplish. <laughs> Especially with mental illness. Of course. And I'm speaking from, from a situation where I know because my father, I mean, this is ongoing. Yeah. If you are yeah. marrying into a family that has dealt with mental illness, it will not be a past tense situation until they go to be with Jesus. If your husband said that, that, you know, maybe, maybe we should hold off until we get this, you know, stabilized or whatever, you would never be together. My dad has to take his medicine if he does not. The, the imbalance, the, chemi- the chemistry in his brain is so completely imbalanced that he is not my father anymore. So yeah, it's it's an ongoing situation. It's it's constant self-talks that my dad has to have with himself because medicine can also deplete you from other areas of your life mm-hmm. and you don't necessarily feel like you're quote yourself. So every day is a battle for my father wanting to make sure that he is putting others before himself. Mm-hmm and laying himself down so that he takes that medicine that deprives him of feeling like himself in order to grab hold of a healthier, more stable existence, if that makes sense. Yeah. Every day. So you have to have a great support system with you every day. And so getting more stable, I mean, yeah, he works with people who unfortunately get off their medicine after they've had a good two weeks. And they're right back where they started. Sure. It, it's an everyday thing. And and whether it is that or, you know, I got family drama. It's not necessarily this, but I got family Everybody's drama. Everybody's got something. You know, and so, but at the same time, the nuance behind it mm-hmm. is what I would want to tell my son. Yeah, 
you can't expect perfection from the person you're going to marry. Mm-hmm. And I also want to say that about friendships too. Sure. Uh, but the nuance being, there are some things that you would want to break up with somebody over. <laughs> of course. And I and I I wouldn't want it to be a a black and white. It's either you you dump them because they have the tiniest thing going on in their life or you always stick with them no matter what. Mm-hmm. And and of course, if it crosses into a line of abuse, yeah. uh, but even you don't like the way they do this or that. You're basing it on feelings as opposed to, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, you sh- there shouldn't be any pressure to, if you love them enough and you have chosen that, and it's not just the feelings of love, if you chose and said, yeah. you know, I, love is me laying down my life daily. I'm talking about marriage situation. Me may, laying down my life daily to to serve love to you, mm-hmm. like to actively serve you. Uh, then if I know that I'm willing to do that, regardless of all you've told me, then absolutely hell or high water. Yeah. But at the same time, if, you know, you date somebody even for a few months or whatever, and it's like, you know, I just don't think he is going to be the spiritual leader for my life. Or I don't think she is going to treat my family the way, because I've seen enough evidence by now. Yeah. I just don't think we have to put up with everything, but I also don't think that many things in our life, the fires in our life should deter us from giving people uh, our time. Yeah. We've actually talked about, okay, how do you balance the fact that God did give you uh, emotional volume <laughs> sure, so that you can express yourself in a way or uh, expect to be treated a certain way and emotions, they take part in all of these things. So you're not supposed to divorce emotion from every equation. You can't do that. You have to allow it to play out in some ways, but you're going to have off days with people and your friends aren't going to treat you Perfect every day. No, no. So you have to look at the heart of the matter. Does this person have my best interests at heart? Yeah. And are they just messing up today in this moment because they're tired or they've had a weird last couple of days? Am I putting things into the correct perspective? Well, and I think that the way that you look at it with the heart is is cumulatively. You know, when when you have a friend that says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just just cranky or tired today. Yeah. That's why I've been snapping at you. And then tomorrow, oh, I'm sorry, I was singing in a sleep last night. Yeah. You know, and then months later, every single time they say something rude or harsh, and you're finally like, you know what? You're tired all the time. Right. You know what? I don't <laughs> think that I want this negativity in my life. And then, you know, whether you need to say something and confront it right. and then and then be still be friends, or whether you need to just spend less time with this person. Yeah. You know, but it, it's exactly right. I think we shouldn't just snap to it because they were mean to us and dump the friendship or That's the right. or the relationship. That's right. Uh, but I don't know. I, I just found that very interesting. It is of interesting. You, you can't expect everybody to, especially in that stage of life, I think it's like, let's clear our schedules because it's each other and it's the potential engagement and it's the wedding. And it's like, no, you're both still going to have stuff yeah. going on in your life. It's like trying to, I remember my husband before we got married, I knew like the, the next day when I get home and uh, we've had our date that night and I wake up the next day and I'm still living with my mom and my dad at that time, paying rent hundred bucks a month, man, you don't get any better than that. That's nice. But I'm in my twenties and I said, mom, dad, I, I think I met the guy I'm going to marry. I'd be surprised if I didn't marry this guy. I just knew. Yeah. 
So, and that's been my personality. I usually just jump in to the swimming pool without measuring whether there's enough water in there first. But I had that feeling. And uh, my parents were taken aback, but sure enough, I was right. And the months leading up to him finally proposing, I'm ready. Uh-huh. Let's go. Uh-huh. Thank God one of us is more stable in this relationship because he measures things out. That's nice. But he did buy the ring pretty early on. He did. He did go shopping right away after our first date. He was like, I went and start look, started looking right away, but I didn't know that until yeah. much later. Right. But he had it in his mind that he was going to have all of his finances squared away. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's going to all be taken care this of. This is a, a great example. I'm not bringing this debt into our marriage. And I understand the heart of that the desire for you to not bring along some baggage with you, but it's it's an impossible thing. You will, whether it is financial, medical, even emotional, dare I say spiritual, that you're not fully spiritually grown when you get married. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm being hugely sarcastic. Of course you're not perfect. Yeah. Wait, you already know that about yourself. You should know that about your, your future spouse and your friends too. They're not perfect. Yeah. God alone is perfect and he's perfecting his spirit in us as Christ followers. So we need to give each other a break, but I also appreciate you bringing up, maybe this is a toxic friendship. And so there's certainly wisdom and counsel. Yeah. And that, well, and of course, first you approach him about it, yeah. about the issue. Then you bring another friend and then you get the church involved. And then at that point you treat him like an unbeliever. And that is, as I think that gets kind of tossed around of you, you never talk to him again and you tell him you hate him. No, like <laughs> you just treat him like you don't, you don't hang out with him looking to be poured into. And you maybe, maybe, it depends on the level. I mean, if they're abusing you, you don't have to hang out with them ever again. No, no, I mean, emotionally abusing you don't ever again. But if it's an opportunity for you to, okay, I'm just realizing, I mean, what they were talking about in the Bible right there is uh, they'd be welcome in a repentant fashion. Mm-hmm. If they come to you and and say, I, I am sorry, I am, I have messed up, th- then you bring them back into the fold. Uh, but in the meantime, it's like, yeah, be nice to them, grab lunch with them every once in a while, treat them like a person. Yeah. But treat them like a mission. You have more of a, maybe more of a mission mindset to, mm-hmm. to go with them. Do, do you want to hear uh, this? I'm just going to do it because I know, I know you'll love this story. I loved it. They told I us. I like it when somebody asks. Well, I do th- you want to hear? I started to you ask know what, them, I'm like, just no, gonna I'm just going to do it. So the couple <laughs> that I was talking about, Great couple. They've been married for a few years. And uh, apparently when they met, Mm -hmm. they were working together uh, and they just were great friends. And she was dating somebody. Okay. And it was kind of on the outs, it looked like. And so he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to throw it out there and just see if she'd hang out with me. Okay. You know, just just as as friends go to a game and their basketball game in their area. He uh, And he's not dating anybody? He's not dating anybody. Oh, that's not going to work. And what do you mean? Oh, no. It's like the old Harry Met Sally speech. Uh Billy Crystal tells Meg Ryan's character, guys and girls cannot be friends unless Uh they're both already in a relationship with somebody else. Well, no, he and he wanted to date her. Because there's tension. Yeah, he he wanted to date her. But this is my point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So So he's like, oh, we're just going to hang out as friends. But in his mind, he's like, man, I hope it's more. I know. So So he he said he was going to test it here. And so he goes, he's like, hey, I got some, uh, the professional basketball team in their area. He says, I got some uh I got some tickets to tonight's game. Uh if you want to go. And she goes, Yeah. And he tells me, he goes, I didn't actually have tickets. 
So he goes, he goes to the bathroom yeah. and gets on his phone and get, he's like, I way overpaid. And I got the, the, one of the rows, like 10 or 11 rows up, like from the court and I took her to that game. Wow. And two weeks later, she dumped the zero and got with the hero. You know, this is a terrible <laughs> example of what to do because he started out the relationship lying about the tickets. <laughs> And lying to himself about, we're just hanging out. I guess he depends on on how he phrased it. No, I think he was open with himself about wanting to date her. I don't know how he phrased exactly. I think he did say, I I have tickets to the next game. So that probably was a lie. (laughs) But they're married now. They're married now? Wow. What a great story. I know. I thought it was a fantastic story. Um, Okay. Okay. Was that the meme? That's not the meme though. No. What's the meme? Here's the meme. And this will go along with our conversation today. Uh, about, actually, it's not, it's not just one, it's multiple Christian artists that have deconstructed. Here's the meme. Okay. The test of Christianity is not loving Jesus. It's loving Judas. Okay. Any initial thoughts? The test of loving Jesus? The test of Wait. Christianity okay. is not loving Jesus. It's loving Judas. Uh, is that like all that they wrote? It's all they wrote. That's a quote that I've seen a lot of my friends post. Okay, well, I would love to delve into all of that. Yeah, that's what I thought. What in the world is the intent behind it? Do you have any idea? Well, I would guess it's it's this. The test of Christianity is not loving Jesus, but loving Judas. I'm assuming, oh, you're about to talk. Uh, here's the stereotype. Okay. Here's the stereotype that, you can go to church mm-hmm. and there's even, you know, I'll give you a Bible verse to also back up this thing. You go to church, you sing your songs, you say you love Jesus, and then you're a jerk to homeless people or unbelievers, or you're a jerk at work, or you don't love your enemies. Okay. Yeah. So proving that you have fruit is loving your enemies like Judas, not this lip service to Jesus. I and and I would I would back that up with mm-hmm. a uh I if I did, you know, move mount had faith to move mountains, you know, prophesy, you know, all this stuff. Uh if I didn't love, it, it's it's worth nothing. Mm. And so I can see this quote, but I also see a lot of error in this quote as well. Okay. And I think it's the main thing that comes to mind is the culture that we live in is if you really want to be a good person and be a quote, true Christian, then you should be for social justice. Then you should help at soup kitchens. You should help the poor. You should be for this movement and that movement. That's what Jesus would do. And I see how, you know, in some ways, progressive Christianity, it's not about the theology and the doctrine of, no, no, being, the test of Christianity is that Jesus came to die for my sins and either I accept that or I reject that. Mm -hmm. Now, moving forward, that fancy word sanctification, where after I am saved by nothing I have done, I become more and more like him every day, hopefully. Set I'm, apart and, and yeah, become holy. Because I'm growing in him. Yep. And I could see where that quote, this quote goes right there. Mm-hmm. Do you have fruit? Are you growing in Christ? Well, the test is, are you loving your enemies well? Mm-hmm. And I, I do think when this quote, I mean, I love how you put it, you know, 
there's a lot there that I'd like to dissect. dissect. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, I, I think there's some parts of this that are true, but they're so, but it's such like a bold, new, fresh quote that people go, ooh, that's good. And then they repost it. And I sat here and reflected a couple of different times when I've seen it posted, mm -hmm. go, I don't know if it's completely true though. So I think one of the most perfect quotes ever mm -hmm. that sums up our faith is John 3, 16. Sure. And whenever I see people do an all-purpose, all-season all spice quote, I don't know. I, I want to sit there for a second and munch on it and, and think, okay, well, what do they mean by this? Why, why, do we, why are we vague? Or Sometimes I feel like we like to hear the sound of our own voices, and don't get me wrong, there are definitely moments like that in my life, I think, because God has gifted me to, to speak. And so most of the time you discover that your gifting is usually linked very closely to what can become a curse in your life because you, you, you ego trip out on it, right? On sure. whatever it is that you're good at. So I feel like these kinds of statements, they're bold and they may come from a very sincere place, but I have to be careful in my own life when I make these all or nothing statements. And it's, it sounds like it's, oh, it sounds really good. And it's almost like a new scripture. <laughs> Wait a second. Right, right. Yeah. Wait yeah, that's a, a good way to say that. Um, what does this mean? Jesus was very clear about the specific person of Judas. And I, I will never forget one day I did a radio show and I was sharing uh the Easter story and one of the statements that's made about Judas, it would it would have been better if he'd never been born. Were the words that Jesus actually said, it's like, well, what does that mean? Well, we could dissect that all day too. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's a very specific choice. Clearly, it's the one who betrayed Jesus. It, this is a person that, you know, in conversation, if somebody is, you know, being a jerk behind your back and you call it Judas, you know, I mean, this is a name that gets flung around. So I understand why it probably used it. But it's like, okay, if that's the ultimate test of Christianity, whether I love Judas where does truly understanding that both are connected in the loving the person of God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength yeah. is loving my neighbor as myself. You can't really have one without the other because if I am truly loving God, I am going to serve my enemy. I'm going to lay my life down because it's no longer I who love, but, the, but Christ who lives in me. Yeah. And if I am truly loving them, then I understand the purpose behind God's plan. Yeah. yeah. Which is not about me, it's about him. So it, it's like, you can't really have one without the other. If you're truly loving God, because the, our love for God fuels our love for others. Yeah. Because you can do a lot of these actions. That's what I'm talking about with, with like social justice and things about just how the world kind of deems how we should treat each other mm -hmm. and how we should you know be nice to each other and social equity and all these things. But that to me is a lot like the, the noisy clanging gong, you know, <laughs> it's the, I can do all these things, but it's not fueled in true love. It's fueled in what I think most, really most of the time is making sure that I look good enough. And in today's pressure packed society, making sure I don't get left behind and mm -hmm. categorized as fill in the blank, a religious nut or a bigot or a whatever. Uh, I need to make sure to fit in and do what culture's doing. And, and that's the kind of thing that I got worried about in a quote like this, because I've heard somebody say, and I mean, I, I love them and stuff, but they, they said this, uh, 
you know, how we, I can't remember how they started it, but they said, you know, we should love God and more importantly, love others. Yeah. No. That's really not at all what Jesus said, is it? You love God first and that will pour. It's like trickle down economics. Yeah. You, it will pour down into people because you, like you said, your eyes are, you know what the point is and how to love them. What's really cool is if you already see somebody who does not know or follow after Jesus, they don't claim to be a Christian at all, but you see them serving others and loving them well, they are so close to the kingdom of heaven. And I... I it's it's a matter of being able to um, just connect dots, I think, for those types of people because they've already latched onto the second greatest commandment. And it's so close to the heart of the Father in serving others, right? But it it is important. Well, why are you doing that? You need to know why you're doing that. Well, because it's a nice thing to do. Why should that matter? Yeah, if there is no God, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So then you're able to connect them back to the reason why it matters is because you're serving the creation. You're serving the very ones that are made in God's image, the image of the creator. And by loving them, you are loving him. But more importantly, when you discover really what it is truly to give all your thoughts, your essence, your heart, everything over it to love and keep God at the top of your existence, like he is, he is my everything. Like you said, everything will trickle down and it all falls into place. Nothing gets imbalanced. I don't start putting love for people above my love for God, which can then, man, you get all sorts of crazy problems there. Yeah. Because then you're kind of even scratching your head. Wait a second. What does love look like again? Because we start mixing feelings into that. And then you're, is love just supporting somebody's cause or is it actually telling them the truth? I mean- That's a good way to say that because if my love for others trumps my love for God- then, then I will agree with others regardless of what they say, even when it's yes. the opposite of what the Bible says. It's displaced. And so Jesus was clear about the order. The greatest commandment is to love God. Yeah. The second is like it. And he puts it kind of right there in the same playing sure. field. Oh, sure. But it, it's, it's the second. <laughs> and this is where I think with this quote, this is, you know, here's scripture working through it. Second Thessalonians 3, 5 said, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's patience. It's God's love flowing mm-hmm. through us. I love it. This is a, one I just stumbled upon with this, this article in Psalms. Uh, clearly what the focus is here. Mm-hmm. Psalm 27, 4 says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That's not a focus on others. Mm. That is a focus on God. Yeah. And it will it will uh, infiltrate my heart and cause my actions and my thoughts to be what he desires. Mm. And so I'll read it again. The test of Christianity is not loving Jesus. It's loving Judas. And that's where I, 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 you know, I wanted to dissect it. I think I did and just flat out disagree with it now. <laughs> the test of Christianity is not loving Jesus. That, I don't care what you say after that. That's not true. The opposite of that is true. The test of Christianity is loving Jesus. So I'm going to go back to my original statement and I've heard it shared and, and I agree with it. This is probably the best all-time scripture lifted from, from the New Testament that sums up our faith. God so loved the world. And it, it, by the way, words said by Jesus himself, God loved you so much that he sent me his only son. And if you believe in me, then you won't die. 
So what does believing in him mean? If I take a journey through the New Testament, I discover what that looks like. And it is serving. It is loving. It is humbling myself. And, you know, we were speaking with friends yesterday talking about the very act of washing the disciples' feet is this incredible example. It's the ugliest thing that you could do back in the day as the lowliest servant and cleaning nasty feet, right? And it's um, the words that our friends shared is right there in front of what the act was itself. So he says, it says in scripture, I think it's the book of John, um, or maybe I'm crossing my, oh, I want to make sure I'm saying it right. Yeah, what is it? Well, it's when he's about to wash the disciples' feet and when this story is being related through the gospel. Okay. It's whichever gospel it is, and that's the one I'm stumped on right now. It's It says, Jesus knowing who he was and where he came from and where he was going. He already knew that he knew that he knew who he was. Did not make one bit of difference that I'm going to kneel down and wash these feet because I already know who I am. And uh, it didn't unsettle him what other people might think. John 13, 3, Jesus knew okay. that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. We get real anxious about stuff and we want people... We want people to fall in line in our own timing. And then that's just a natural thing. It's a human thing. But I know whose I am, right? And I have to keep landing back there. I know whose I am. And no matter what anybody else says or does, it doesn't matter that Judas is about to betray Jesus because Jesus knows who he is. And so I'm going to wash his feet because this is the example I want to leave that I need to get out of what I think needs to happen right now in this moment, Rochelle. I need to have all these people understand right now what the truth is. They need to understand they're wrong. You know, wait, I already, I just need to understand that I am God's and that he is in me and that I am blessed because I know that and that I can share that message and be patient with people and continue to serve them, but lay down my life. And that that's where it really has to land every time because we find ourselves getting passionate and flustered about so much today. But Jesus didn't get flustered. That's where that, you know? I love what uh, Mike Winger on the Bible podcast shared uh, in, in issues like this. And there's that, uh, I can't remember if he said annoying or squeaky or whatever, there's that old squeaky gospel again, because it, <laughs> people in so much of the time want us to be works-based and join this team or that team. Yeah. Why aren't you doing more for this cause? And maybe it's foster care or adoption or, you know, the Roe v. Wade things gets brought up. Why aren't Christians doing more of this or more of that? Why aren't you loving like Jesus did? And, and it comes down to first knowing whose I am. Mm-hmm. That's the gospel. Yeah. That's the most important thing. And then all of my actions, like you said, flow from it. Yeah. And, and we should be loving, but sure. but the pressure of making sure that I agree with you here, or agree with you here, or serve there, or serve here. Like first is do we have the truth about how God has revealed himself mm-hmm. and what exactly are my instructions? And it's first to love God, to have a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. I think it has to be. And that's why Jesus put it in that order. And I understand the desire to encourage 
Jesus followers in upping their compassion game. Mm-hmm. And perhaps that was where that quote started. Maybe they saw there's a huge need there for us to continue to serve one another. And so don't forget to be loving your enemies. Absolutely. Jesus said that too. Yeah. But yeah. to say that it's the ultimate test of Christianity to do that as opposed to, you know, it's not even about loving Jesus, it's about loving other people. You can't have one without the other, in my opinion. Yeah. Not well, not perfectly. Um, that, that agape love, that Greek word that talks about the unconditional love. It's, it's not because I'm on your bandwagon. It's not because I support your, uh, your social media feed or your political views. It's an unconditional love because I, I'm the one, I'm the one holding your hair back when you get sick over the toilet seat. Mm -hmm. I'm the one making sure that even on your last worst day, there's somebody sitting by your side and reading a book Mm -hmm. into your comatose ear. You know, name a scenario where you are truly loving and serving somebody at their ugliest. Um, You cannot do that apart from knowing the unconditional love of God because it says in Romans 5, 8, and I just read this the other day and it, it reminds me again how much I love this passage. While I was still a sinner, he died for me. He didn't wait till I got my junk in order like we were just talking about with relationships with people. He saved me and you and our family members and everybody on this planet, even the ones we disagree with, before we said yes to him. Yeah. Who does that? Yeah. I I love that because I have, uh, I hear a lot of people uh, say we're all children of God. Well, no, we're enemies of God and we're children by adoption. But what I have to remember is I was once an enemy of God and I didn't earn anything to not become an enemy of God. He simply died for all of us. Hmm. And, and I, I simply accepted the gift and what we should root for is other people. We should love Judas. You yeah, should want them to have that. I almost disagree with that statement though, because I feel like, um, have you ever met your child on a day where um, he kind of was your enemy? <laughs> well, I, you know, yes, I get what you mean, but it's like scripture says it in both places. It does. It so. says that we are God's kids. Actually, it tells us that in Genesis, it shares us that God will bless all the nations through Abraham mm-hmm. because they are his, right? So, we know that we are his children, but because of sin, we are also an enemy to the, this holy presence. And he wants to purify us. He wants us to, to, to fully know him in relationship. And I think there are those kids that choose to remain distant. Yeah. And then there are those kids that's like, I want to come alongside my, my parents and really know who they are. And um, yeah, we get to choose who we, we are. And just like he welcomed back the prodigal, I would imagine in that moment, that was a very, that was an enemy kid there. <laughs> that was yeah. a guy who chose, give me my, can you imagine the gall? If somebody, if my son came up to me tomorrow and says, mom, I know you're not dead, but I know you're going to give me some money later. Should you give me the money now? Uh, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, there'd be all kinds of emotion that went along with that. And that story that Jesus shared about the prodigal son did that. And yet he welcomed his son who was repentant back with open arms. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would, I would think that that was an enemy of the state there for a minute. That's <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but it was still his son. And so he, he called him back home and said, absolutely. Come on back in here. 
Um, anyway, I, I love all of that. Uh, I really didn't get to share what I'm going through in my own quiet time, but this is... Well, let's maybe do next week. Maybe we I, do it next week. I will say, I guess, you know, because we talked about some of the Christian artists, I, it, maybe it's not even necessary, but just kind of it goes along with the... Oh, okay. You know, uh, I'm going to use certain phrases like deconstruction and then it's very vague statements. Yeah. Where you're not even quite sure what exactly people are saying. Yeah, Carter, has been kind of helping me through defining what these kinds of statements are because I know they're all over social media and I know they're, they're used in certain circles. I've never heard about deconstruction, I've got to be honest, until deconstructing your faith, until you kind of brought it up close and personal to me. And I'm like, oh, that's what this is? And what is all this about ex-evangelicals? And yeah, there are some artists that have come out and said so much as I am an ex-evangelical, which sounds like immediately I thought, oh, well, that means that they have denied anything to do with the church and no longer following after God, which it can mean that. Can. Mm -hmm. But it could also mean I'm just no longer a part of of the church body that's an organized situation mm -hmm. and I'm discovering who Jesus is on my own. And that's fine. I think really to sum it up is is what we had chatted about. Uh, there's a guy, uh, it's Red Pen, like P-E-N, Red mm -hmm. Pen Logic with Mr. B. And uh Somebody had said deconstruction is actually is actually, uh, actually what church fathers have done for centuries. Mm. They've been reforming to make sure that we are uh, having the right teachings and having the right discussion. Which sounds really, really good. But the words deconstructing, um, that has a lot of baggage. And so I want to make sure that I'm careful when I'm connecting a deconstructive type word with a reform type word. Because they're not the same. Basically, reform still aligning with scripture. Scripture being the guide, and in the in what we're going through today, most of the time, yeah, scripture is not the guide. And that honestly, that's why it kind of ties back to that quote: "Culture is the guide." With what, what? Not only how how do we need to change the American church? Yeah, are there too many fog machines? Is it has our heart gotten off here and there? But also, what teachings from the Bible do we need to change? Mm -hmm. Some people actually say that. Some people kind of mean it, even though they have vague comments, like we said. And no, in, in Reformation, Scripture is the guide. And then we observe our culture and go, where are we not matching up here? Yeah. And that's great. That's totally great. I think, it's, I think this is why words like deconstruction came about in the beginning. Somebody sensed a problem in an organized religious circle, and it felt so organized. It felt, huh, this feels superficial. This feels wrong. Maybe that's how all of this business got started. I don't know. But it, it's kind of like what happened even with Martin Luther when he nailed the theses to the door of the Roman Catholic Church. Something is not right here. Mm -hmm. It's not about the law anymore. It's a, even though the law points us back to our need for God because we cannot possibly follow all the law, right? It, it's about the relationship that Jesus Christ wants to have with me. And we get away from that from time to time, even in our own personal lives. But as a group, as the body of Christ, we get away from that. And there are churches striving to build and, and understand that relationship with God. And then there are those that are fine with tradition, sticking with tradition, and don't want to observe necessarily a personal relationship. And I 
so if you're looking to like, I, I want the real thing. We just have to kind of be careful with the words that we choose. Yeah, yeah, we do. And the people that we're following who use those words like a deconstructed, because if it does not align with God's word, it's going to maybe sound pretty good. And it may even sound really close to what you've heard the scriptures say. But me constantly studying to show myself approved, making sure, does it align with what God says? Because if it doesn't, the enemy has this incredible way of twisting. Yeah. Taking the words out of context, lifting it and twisting it and applying it and making it sound a little more comfortable in the moment for you. Mm. Sounds a little bit more comfortable right now, doesn't it? Oh, I kind of like being able to do my own thing without any accountability or whatever it right. is that sure. it might lead you to that place. Yeah, that's very And true. it's usually a process. It's not immediate because you could spot that a mile away. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. It's a gradual. It can be a yeah. gradual thing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, then let's do this. Um, a week from today. Okay. What do you want to share? Yeah. Uh, gosh, what? I, who knew that the stories from Kings and Chronicles could be so fascinating? But there's a lot that I'm picking up. Little things here and there that I think are really important. For instance, King David does something that ticks off God. And it just shows that being a person of influence affects those around you when you choose not to trust God. And it's pretty powerful, kind of frightening. It's uncomfortable, but it's, it's, it's just another, here's another account of when I don't trust the Lord, I am missing out on God's best. We'll do that a week from today. Thank you for hanging out with us. This is the Anything with Quiet Time podcast. And you can find a lot more other podcasts, videos, articles at hopeondemand.com.